This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. There was an effort announced yesterday by our federal government to get Canadians out of Israel and the Palestinian territories, Gaza, West Bank, but uh, that's going to be a lot more difficult, especially the case of Gaza. Um, But we do know this morning a flight carrying about 130 Canadians did take off from the airport in Tel Aviv, uh, headed for Athens with Canadian evacuees. There was another flight that was supposed to take off short, not long ago, uh, the second flight of the day, uh, was all supposed to... I haven't seen an update on that one yet. I don't know if that one has taken off or if it's delayed. Um, But there's two flights scheduled for today and another one scheduled for tomorrow. And as I said, that is carrying people out of Israel. There are several thousand Canadians registered as being in Israel uh, and about 500 registered as being in Gaza. Now, getting those people out of Gaza... um, it's the flight is not the issue. It's getting out of Gaza and getting to the airport in Tel Aviv. And I don't even know if that's on anybody's radar at this point. Melanie Jolie talking about it yesterday, foreign affairs minister saying, I, I, I don't know what the plan is. But if other countries in the UN are working on them, we'll support them with whatever we can. But at this point, uh, I don't know what the strategy is. Nothing is getting in or out of Gaza. That includes food, water, medicine, all the rest. You've heard the story. So uh, another situation, but at least some flights are leaving Israel today. So what is the Canadian involvement in all of this? How uh, are we responding, not only as a government, but as a military? We do have a handful of uh, military personnel in the region. Not sure exactly uh, in what capacity, but let's find out what's going on. We'll speak with Dr. Christian Luprecht now, who's a professor at the Royal Military Military College and Queen's University, a senior fellow at Macdonald Laurier Institute. Uh, Dr. Luprecht, thank you for joining us again. Always appreciate your time. My pleasure. Good morning, Shay. So, an operation like this, the airlift, the evacuation of the thousands of Canadians that want out of Israel and, and Gaza, but like we said, that's much different. Um, it has to be done as close to immediately as possible, but it seems to me like just a monstrous undertaking. What goes into this kind of effort? I mean, how much preparation can you put in place, or is it just a mad scramble? What does it look like? Yeah, well, the closest analogy is probably 2006 evacuation from Lebanon up Lyon, where ultimately the Kenyan Armed Forces assisted 15,000 uh, Canadian Lebanese to evacuate uh, from Lebanon over the course of about six weeks, give or take. And you can see we're getting, unfortunately, uh, rehearsed at this. There's, of course, the Afghanistan drawdown. Then we had the non-combatant evacuation from Sudan. And now the non-combatant evacuation out of Israel uh, the challenge is that uh, Canada here has become very much a hangers-on, so we're relying on our allies to help coordinate with us, in particular in the most difficult situations such as Gaza, and I think it's also an indication of how much reduced Canada's global uh, influence is in terms of leverage. Remember that in 1956, in the Suez Crisis, Canada was the ultimate kingmaker um, with the invention, effectively, of peacekeeping operations in order to uh, to preserve regional stability. And today, the best that we can do is basically call our partners and hope that we can get some sort of support from them. Yeah, Christian, I wanted to ask you about that because we do fancy ourselves peacekeepers. That's what we always say. That's that you know we we may not be a strong military player, but we're really good at peacekeeping. I, I don't see any peace to keep at this point. Do you think there's a possibility that you know what we tell everybody we're really good at maybe pressed into service? 
down the road, if there's some sort of ceasefire that's brought in? I mean, is there a potentially uh, a position where Canada can help with some military efforts? So uh, three points on that. First is, you're absolutely right, we've woven a narrative about peacekeeping that has never really applied. If you look at 1956 and the Suez Crisis, it was never about peacekeeping. It was about preventing two superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States, from going to nuclear war, which clearly could not possibly be in Canada's or anyone else's interests. Uh, and for political reasons, that was then stitched together as somehow this making the world a better place effort, which is never what peacekeeping was or was intended to be. It was always a matter of representing Canadian interests, but with Canadian values as the way that uh, that those interests are then projected. Uh, the challenge that uh, Canada has today is, of course, is much diminished in terms of its capabilities. So yes, ultimately Canada could uh, uh, perhaps make a contribution uh, as some sort of an honest broker, but that requires you to have uh, credibility, that requires you to have uh, contributions that you're actually able to make. And the problem with Canada currently is that the military is already overstretched on the one hand and undercapitalized. So even if um, allies or partners in the Middle East came and said, Canada, can you help? Of course, we continue to have a mission, a a UN mission in the Golan Heights, for instance. Could you help uh, in some capacity? The problem is that the government would likely have to say no, precisely because we don't have the equipment and we don't have the people. And so uh, this is a particular tragic part about a prime minister who claimed in 2015 that Canada is back. And today, if somebody would come and call the Prime Minister, there's really not much the Prime Minister could offer. We uh, apparently have less than 100 military and civilian personnel currently in the region linked with the Canadian Forces, about 90. I heard any idea what they might be doing, what they typically do there? What's um, their role in all of this, do you think? Yeah, so we have a very small presence in a number of missions across that region, largely as officers. Uh, so they can provide some coordination assistance. I mean, and they'll help in terms of knowing some of the people on the ground of who to talk to uh, to get this done. In some ways, Canada is getting lucky insofar as that Israel is a longtime um, ally of Canada, uh, has very strong uh, capacities, and that even when it finds itself effectively in the midst of a war, um, you can imagine that Israel might have better things to do than to help coordinate uh, the evacuation of non-combatants from the region. Uh, So the fact that the Israelis are giving us their time, are giving us some airspace, are giving us space on the tarmac uh, is an indication of how much they value, continue to value uh, their relationship relationship with us. And we can only hope that Canada reciprocates in kind. Doctor, I wanted to get your take on the hostage situation and the way it's being handled by the Canadian government. The United States yesterday actually said Canadians are being held hostage by so has the Israeli Defense Force. Canada has not confirmed it. I mean, they've basically said, yes, there are, but we don't know how many, or maybe they do know. But they said they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to add value to the hostages by providing this kind of information. So somebody's got it wrong, or at least different, when you take a look at the way it's being handled by Israel, the United States, and Canada. It's not the same. Uh, What do you make of the way uh, our government has decided to go about dealing with the hostage situation? Yeah, so it's really interesting because generally the proposition is that when when hostages are being held by terrorists, uh, the mantra is that we do not negotiate with terrorists because that, of course, emboldens them. It would then uh, put Canadians at risk elsewhere in the world uh, if they know that the Canadian government is prone to cave. But, of course, in the past, we have then quietly negotiated in the background. The challenge here is uh, that with Americans being held, uh, there's a much bigger fish to fry and likely Canada doesn't want to get in the way of negotiating 
negotiations that U.S. authorities are currently having um, uh, with uh, with Hamas and with other stakeholders and, and regional power brokers. Uh, there's, of course, two issues at stake. One is making sure we get the at least 500 upwards Canadians uh, that may want to leave Gaza out of Gaza, and that'll require some sort of a temporary ceasefire and corridor. Uh, I don't see any other way because uh, it would be very difficult next or next to impossible to go in and, and retrieve them. Um, and the other then is the Canadians that are being held hostage in what is the best way for the government of Canada uh, to ensure uh, their safety, and that will require very careful orchestration and coordination um, with allies, uh, including with Israel, um, because Israel, we of course don't want to undermine Israel, and Israel has said there won't be a ceasefire mm-hmm. um, until the hostages have been released. So uh, there's a real risk that if Canada does something sort of unilaterally here, it would undermine the whole broader um, approach to the region. And of course, we know that Canada has already run afoul of its partners and allies when it comes to the Indo-Pacific. So we would hope the government has learned its lessons and is going to uh, not uh, do anything that will uh, undermine Canada's reputation further in the world. And act here in concert um, with our allies. Where do you see this going, Dr. Luprecht, as you take a look at where we are? Um, I know we're starting to hear some people, the United Nations, even the U.S. government talking about not necessarily restraint, but caution on behalf of the Israelis in terms of civilian deaths. I think, you know, we're going to continue to see the horror out of Gaza, and that's going to change the way people view this in the coming days. Where do you think this is going to go ultimately? Uh, so I make a point of not commenting on the conflict per se because the conflict is so politicized that whatever one might say, yep. someone might interpret as bias. But I think sticking to strictly the non-combatant evacuation here, uh, clearly there are many citizens from many countries, given that the, that the, the um, not only is the Jewish diaspora a very large global diaspora, but also, of course, many uh, individuals across the world have a stake uh, in both Israel as well as, uh, as, well as the occupied territories. Uh, and so there's clearly also a stake for the United Nations uh, to try to ensure that, uh, that the safety of, uh, of individuals who are, end up being caught up in this conflict uh, is somehow assured and uh, it seems to be very difficult these days to find people who are able to talk effectively yeah. uh, to both sides in this conflict and so the United Nations can hopefully play a constructive role here. Yeah, you are so right. Uh, Dr. Luprecht, thank you for being here as always. I appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.